You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Good evening. Welcome, everybody. It is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Tuesday, the 1st of June, 2021. Thank you all for tuning in. Apologies for a few minutes later than I anticipated, though I heard a popping and a hissing in the headphones. I was like trying to make sure that that was going well before we started. And then I just realized I hadn't pressed the button for the YouTube feed. So anyway, apologies. One or two uh, gremlins taking place tonight and uh, would appreciate your prayers. On tonight's program, we're going to be dealing with the topic of Roman Catholicism, and we'll be dealing tonight with a an issue and with regards to a video that I've seen uh, promoted time and time again. Um, the video in question is from, I don't know if it's Premier Christian Radio, I think most people around the UK would probably know who that is, um, Justin Briley, who is... Uh, the presenter for Unbelievable Radio. I think that's, I don't know if that's just on YouTube or he, anyway, whatever the case is, he does a lot of videos with regards to debates and things like this. And he, and he has these debates on between Christians and atheists and all this. Now, ordinarily, I don't have a ton of interest in the atheist debates, never really have. Um, um, and I'll, I'll tell you why later, but um, suffice to say, there was, it was on YouTube and you know, the sponsored videos and kept popping up. I saw it like eh, probably about a month ago, two months ago, whenever it was. Um, I've seen the same video pop up a few times between um, Robert Barron and himself. Basically, some debate he had with um a young fellow by the name of Alex O'Connor. I'm sure my age there, young fellow. He's some, you know, he's in his twenties, probably mid twenties or something like that. So Alex O'Connor, cosmic skeptic, some atheist YouTuber. I'll be honest, I haven't heard of him before. But um, what concerned me, I've dealt with Bishop Robert Barn before. He's a Roman Catholic bishop, I think, in Los Angeles. It's been a while since I've covered him. I've done a couple of programs on him in the past before. Um, I'm not so much worried about Robert Barron per se, the person. Two seconds there, that's a bit loud. <laughs> uh, people who are listening to the to the podcast after don't want to hear this uh, popping the whole time. So, um, my concern is how Roman Catholicism, just for you not aware, Robert Barron, Bishop Robert Barron, is a Roman Catholic bishop from the United States, very eloquent speaker. Um, I mean, 
how convincing his arguments are is another is another question, but um, very very easy man you could say to listen to. And his YouTube Word on Fire, I think it's a program he's got, is quite popular. You can see he's very good with the camera, and he's very at ease with different media situations and all that. He's very much the big up and coming, for want of a better term, star within. The Roman Catholic Church when 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 it comes to this area engaging with younger people and all this kind of stuff. So um now on Unbelievable Radio, what concerned me massively was the fact that this was this debate between him, Robert Barron, and um Alex trying to get his name right here so I don't Alex O'Connor was a debate between Christianity and atheism. And as I want to point out after we read through uh, Psalm 34 briefly before we begin, um, again, to remind ourselves and my, myself that while we're doing this, we're doing this to glorify God and, um, and as the Catechism says, enjoy Him forever. Uh, we want to glorify God in all that we do. And I'm concerned that more and more, I'm not saying this is anything new, but more and more Roman Catholicism is seen as in just another denomination within the visible church, which which it is not, um, for ver for various reasons that we we'll get into later. But they deny justification by faith alone, and they have done ever since the Council of Trent in the seventeenth century. Before we get into that, let's dig out our Bibles, and um, we're going to read. Briefly through Psalm 34, for those who haven't listened to the program before, uh, we're just reading through the Psalms, and just make a very, very brief commentary on it. I am not going to be reading all of this, but we'll read briefly um, the beginning. Um, and probably just the last few verses of this psalm. Psalm 34, and before we do, we'll pray to Almighty God. Father, Lord in heaven, please bless this program. Um, help us, O oh Lord, to, to glorify you in all that we do. And Father, may what we're doing here lead people to Christ, ultimately. We pray, Lord, that perhaps even people would stumble upon this program and be led to the Lord to rely is, O oh Father, that uh, Roman Catholicism is not Christianity, and it is a, although it once was many centuries ago, it has departed from the faith once delivered unto the saints. We pray also for atheists who are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read um, from verses 1 to 10. In Psalm 34, and then we'll just read as well from verses 19 to 22. Psalm 34, let us hear God's word. It is a psalm of David. It also tells us at the beginning of the psalm, when it was written, when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. And, and these um, titles are there to give us understanding, especially when we're expositing these things. Psalm 34, let us hear God's word. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. 
O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who fears in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good. And then we'll just read the last few verses there from verses 19 to 22. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all the bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. May the Lord bless his word. Now, um, Again, there's many things that could be said about this. We'll just make a few brief comments because we have a lot to get through in our program um, dealing with the unbelievable radio program. Um, we should boast in the Lord. We boast in many things. We boast in our intellect and we shouldn't. There's many things that are gifts from God and whatever we do, it the, the air in our lungs, the heartbeat in our chest, everything, we need to boast in the Lord, but we don't. We don't, and because we don't boast in the Lord, we think that we are good and we think we deserve something. And that will, that's how we should look ultimately at atheism. Atheists, atheists know that there's a God. It's not like they, they don't know. And he's like, how do you know? Well, the scripture tells me that... Um, that those, they suppress the truth and the righteousness. They have the Gentiles of the law of God written in their hearts in Romans 2.15. Um, the heavens declare the glory of God. We see evidence for God all around us. As a former <laughs> atheist that I was, somebody who left Roman Catholicism was a professing atheist for about six years. Um, deep down, I knew God existed and I hated him. That was, that was the problem. It wasn't evidence or any of that kind of nonsense. It was purely to do with, I knew he existed and I didn't like him. I hated him. And it was only when the Lord showed me and changed my attitude and I saw him as loving. And that's ultimately what broke me. And I repented of my sins and trusted in him and in him alone. I saw myself as a sinner in not deserving anything from the hand of God. And in these one, this wonderful section that many of you will know, verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. There's no, we will not lack. Now, it doesn't mean we won't go through difficulty and, and shortages to a, a degree, but we'll, we'll have everything that we need. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good. And we need to, as the psalm calls for us to do, to seek the Lord, to cry out to him and to seek his face and to boast in him. And it's especially important as we look at this, I suppose, topic of 
I'm not sure exactly how to categorize much of this. Um, is it something new? It's very much um, redressing problems of the past. And you could put William Lane Craig in this category as well, because, um, well, both of these men spoke together a couple of years ago, um, perhaps even more recently. Now, before I get into it, I want to point out a few things. Now, because when we look at, if anybody's listened to Justin Briley, from the point of view of a host, he's very good. He lets people talk. He doesn't, um, I mean, it, it's a platform I would have little problem going on. There's some radio programs and you'd be distorted. He lets you speak. Um, there's a good atmosphere. He allows you to talk. Now, the, the thing that I'm, and and the very unlikely point that Justin is listening to this, my point is, my deep concern that Roman Catholicism in this video and in other places as well, I I mean, I've, I've listened to some things, is presented as biblical Christianity. I mean, I will, I'm not a big fan of the promotion of men like Justin Welby and all those kind of guys within um, the program, but I kind of get it from an Anglican. I, I'm, pres I'm presuming that um, the, the host is Anglican. I, I, I'm presuming this, maybe I'm wrong. Um, I understand why that would happen. I, I'm not a big fan of that, but I would kind of go, okay, okay, I get that. But to present Roman Catholicism, which has denied the gospel ever since the Council of Trent, that is the major concern. And to present it as Christianity, unqualified. And there's other problems as well. Uh, we'll get into it in a little bit. Um, but again, I would say this, and other people have said this about him. No doubt he is a fair guest. He is one of those people that I think debaters like to have as a moderator. So um, I just hope that pray for Justin that he would reconsider and see the problem with Roman Catholicism because of the danger and danger to people's souls. Now, and if you've got it, uh, by the way, if you've got any questions, you can, um, YouTube is up. It started up a bit later than normal. Um, just didn't click the button. And we are going to, hopefully there'll be no glitches here. We're going to play it through, We're going to make a few points on it, and um, we're actually going to start nine minutes and 15 seconds into it, because there are, there are segments I'm going to have to skip through, so I will try to have this included in the show notes, but if, the, if it's not, just Google or YouTube Bishop Bar Robert Barn and Alex O'Connor Cosmic Skeptic, Christianity or Atheism. Let's begin. I think the place to start in some ways with both of you will be your stories. Um, perhaps Bishop Barron, first of all, um, can you tell us a little bit about um, your growing up um, within the Catholic faith, but 
why for you, you didn't abandon that faith, but you felt that actually this was something that made sense. Um, what was the process as, as you went on? Yeah, a quick version. I was born and raised a Catholic, so from a devout Catholic family, went to Mass every Sunday, was sent to Catholic schools from the time I was six years old. And so, I mean, I took Catholicism pretty much for granted as a young man. Um, I wasn't all that interested in religion as a kid. I was interested in sports. I, I liked to read, but I read books about baseball players and basketball players. And I wanted to be a baseball player. So mess of my life as a kid was about sports. Uh, my Catholicism was sort of taken for granted as a, a background of my life. But a major, I say it now as a, as a grace in my life, occurred when I was about 14. So I was my first year in high school, you say what, secondary school, uh, and I went to a Catholic high school, and this young Dominican friar presented one of Aquinas' arguments for God's existence. Well, I didn't doubt God's existence. I wasn't like a modern rationalist wondering whether God exists. And, and I'm sure that presentation bored every kid in the, in the room, but I don't know why to this day. I, again, I think it's kind of a grace. It just fascinated me that you could think about God in a more serious way. Mind you, too, I'm coming of age in the years right after Vatican II, which was, to say the least, not a high-water mark of Catholic education. So this, the schooling I got in Catholic school was what I call the banners and balloons Catholicism. It was a lot of making collages, a lot of personal experience, very low-level doctrinal presentation. So I never thought of religion as a serious topic. Uh, there was English and history and math and science were the serious topics, and then religion was like gym class or something. You know, was... So let's um, briefly just make one or two comments on this. Um, okay. This is a common theme, and if you listen to Bishop, Bishop Robin Barron a number of times, I'll just call Robin Barron from now on because uh, I just gave his name shorter. Um, he... He very much presents what he does. And it's very similar to William Lane Craig and stuff like that. And another similar apologist that, well, the problem is the intellectual bar has been dropped so low in, in the church. I'm going to use the term very loosely. Again, Roman Catholicism is not Christianity, but that, that what's going to solve the problems in the church is this type of intellectualism. And he, I'm not saying this is necessarily cons conversion story, but it's very much about, it's all about the head and it's all about f filling our mind. It's intellectualism. Uh, and it's very, very little. See, this is very, very popular because it demands very little of the person. People, there's some types, types of personality they love to learn. They love to study. They love to fill the brains with stuff and do very, very little with it. Now, by the way, for the ministry, a high level of education should be always sought, but not at what the Puritans would call an expense of the, the heart and the hands, right? The heart and the hands. So we can have a very, we can fill our minds. We can be, people can be very smart. Some people can, I mean, some of the best lexicons and Greek and all this kind of stuff are some of the most, the worst heretics at times because it, it doesn't always go together. Now you can get some people who are absolute geniuses, but they're humble about it and, and they love the Lord. Um, but there is a movement 
within the church or Christendom or wider Christendom and whatever, in order to respond to atheism, the new atheism, the, the Dawkins and all that kind of stuff to basically say, well, you know what, we're rational, we're acceptable, we're this, we're that. Uh, we're not believing those crazy things. Uh, some of it would tend to go into theistic evolution and all this, anything that's, you know, well, can't talk about Adam and Eve and all this kind of stuff. So, um, I'm not, I'm, I don't know what Robert Barnes' view is on that, but there is very much a, it's what I would call almost an, an intellectual hobby. It fascinated me. I, I listened to this whole interview, by the way, the entirety. I've made lots of notes in it. I'm not going to go through the entirety of this program. Not going to be possible. But it's very much kind of almost presented like an intellectual hobby. You know, some people love reading books. Some people love, that's just their personality. They are professional nerds. Not got anything against that. But to use it for the glory of God, and rather than just storing up quaint arguments so we can have um, quaint intellectual debates with atheists and so they can see us as super smart and all this kind of stuff, we're, we're losing the very heart of the matter. The fact that, and it's never, to my, I never heard him once. And if, I, and if it's there, I missed it. A mention of sin mention of repentance, a mention of turning from trusting in self to trusting in Christ and in Christ alone. Didn't hear any of that. And we've also got to be careful that knowledge puffs up. You can read all the systematic theology you want, but if it's not change your heart, not change your life, it's going to bring judgment upon your life. I know lots of people who have read 10 times what I have in theological books and all that. They don't apply it to their lives. Uh, be very careful of that. I'm not saying don't read systematic theologies. Do. Praise God if you do. But apply it to your life. Seriously think. And don't be the next Pharisee, basically. Again, I'm not saying that this is Robert Byrne or anything like that. But th this is the danger sometimes when we're not applying the truth to our lives. When all we want to do is fill up our, our mind. But nothing changes in our heart. And nothing, nothing changes in our heart. And this is why this is so popular, because it demands nothing, and it becomes a socially acceptable, nominal faith. And then it gives a bad name to high standards of education, which is should be done for the, for the ministry. So it can be a vicious cycle. Something we did in school, but it wasn't really intellectually serious. Well, that presentation in high school was the first time I came across something like an intellectually interesting presentation of the faith. Well, it lit a fire in me, and I went to the local library. I'm 14, and I don't know if you know Mortimer Adler's series of the great books. You know, it's, it's, very, it's very popular in our country, and it's all the great thinkers of Western civilization. And there were two volumes on Aquinas, and so I saw those. I grabbed one, and I brought it home. And I didn't know what I was reading. I had no preparation whatsoever to read that sort of text. But it started a process in me that's never really stopped from that time. And it convinced me that it was worthwhile thinking about religion. And I think, as Alex just said, I quite agree with that, that if this... Again, it, it's, pre it's presented purely as an intellectual pursuit. And I listened as a young Christian to many, many similar people 
I never listened to Robert Barron or anything like that. I mean, again, I discovered pretty quickly after my conversion that Roman Catholicism was not Christianity. Again, and I was raised Roman Catholic, by the way. I got saved and I, I went back to Roman Catholic Church thinking, I'm back. Uh, and then I was like, where's the Bible? Uh, where's anything going on? Uh, why are all these weird symbols on the wall? Why are they praying to Mary? All these questions that f for the first time in my life entered into my thinking. And most people, that wouldn't even occur to them. I'm The fact that in Roman Catholicism, you have praying to the saints, praying to well, essentially dead people necromancy so was it christianity at one point yeah but it is it is long since departed from the faith once delivered on to the saints so um welcome everybody in the chat um and uh praise god i hope hopefully it's a blessing to you if you if you like this presentation you want me to deal with other similar videos or whatever in the future, um, megidoradio at gmail.com. Yeah, that's right, megidoradio at gmail.com. Um, I'm not giving out megidofilms at gmail.com anymore because it seems to be strange to have an email where I don't do many movies anymore, and I don't know if I will. That's that's actually, I don't know if I'll have time in the future to ever do a movie again. So the films moniker might actually be dropped entirely at some stage. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, so radio at gmail.com. You can email me at with, send the video and I'll do my best to have a look through it and, um, and uh, pray about if I'll respond to it. And uh, we have a, there's somebody who's a former Roman Catholic uh, in the chat as well. Uh, welcome. And, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a system of works. Um, and also when we think about works, we got to be careful how we describe it, especially to knowledgeable Roman Catholics. You know, sometimes the way it's described is that, uh, the, the Bible says we're saved by faith alone. And then Roman Catholics are grace alone. And, and then Roman Catholics believe we're saved by works. And then a Roman Catholic who has, you know, maybe done a bit of research is somewhat devout. Was that, no, 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 that's not true. We believe we're saved by grace. And then you're stumped because it's actually true. But what they don't believe is that you're saved by grace alone. And that, you know, justification, the process of justification begins at baptism. You can, you can look at that in uh, the Catholic, Catechism of the Catholic Church. Anything I'm saying here can be verified in the Catholic Catechism of the Catholic Church. You don't even have to go back to the Council of Trent in, in, in the 16th century. Let me put this as clearly as I possibly can. I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. And, there, and we have to realize very, very quickly, for the sake of Roman Catholics, for the sake of their souls, and we should love them, and do everything we can to share the gospel with them and be good neighbors and all that kind of stuff. The Roman Catholic Church, the system, calling itself a church, is a synagogue of Satan. It is no longer a church. It no longer preaches the gospel. And that, by the way, that title of a synagogue of Satan is not just for the Roman Catholic Church. It is for any Protestant church that has ceased to preach the gospel. Any church. There are individual Anglican churches that are synagogues of Satan. I'm not saying the entire denomination. There are some good preachers 
there within the denomination. The Church of Scotland, individual churches within the Church of Scotland, are synagogues of Satan. I've done one or two reviews, and they're certainly synagogues of Satan. I don't think that the entire body is yet. They haven't officially, as an entire body, denounced the gospel. But, yeah. So we've got to be careful how we describe it, how we... Rome does not deny the necessity of grace. It denies the sufficiency of grace. Big difference. Um, and I would urge people to to really think about what is the difference, especially if you have a if you come from a Roman Catholic background, if you have Roman Catholic friends and family and you're sharing the truth with them, uh, be patient, be patient. you know th these things can take time. And if people are listening, that's encouraging. Sometimes you might be witnessing to somebody for six months and say, oh, they're not converted yet. Hey, just be thankful that they're listening. Some people don't want to listen at all. So anyway, so we're going to get back to our critique here. Right, what this man is arguing. There's nothing more important. And that started me on a process. So I never really left the church or had questions about it. But this moment was a moment of, of deepening. And heck, it followed me my whole life. I mean, I got into eventually the priesthood, but then more specifically into study, doctoral work, and then my own teaching and writing. So it set me on a trajectory away from baseball and toward, you know, the intellectual exploration of the faith. And this kind of intellectualism, it's not just, it's not just reserved for Roman Catholic. There are, there are Protestant ministers who can be absolutely enamored with pick any deep theological study into the Christian faith. So this problem can affect, and it's a road to nominalism. And I would say, how do I know it's affecting me? The Greek language should be, you know, used, the Hebrew language should be used, but are you using it to feed the sheep to shepherd and tend the flock, or are you, are you, you know, you're you're preaching up here and you're just doing it to fill to to satisfy your own intellectual curiosities, and you know sometimes you know, you'll spend all this time learning about you know apologetics and all this kind of stuff, and you know how much of it ends up in sermons, usually depending on your congregation, but a tiny tiny amount. You know, preaching, just think about preaching for a second, should be basic. It should be, um, I have a thing where on the way home from church, I'll often ask my two six-year-olds, did they get anything from the message? Because that's often, if the children understand it, I'm not saying they're going to understand everything, but did they get anything from the message? You know, people talk about children's messages and all this kind of stuff. There's a sense in which parts, at least parts of the message, maybe not the entirety of it, is going to reach them at that level. And when you have this intellectual elite, it kind of puffs up, people look down it. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't study. Again, I just want to be very, very clear because there's an anti-intellectualism also in the church that that's also dangerous as well. Um, but we've got to be careful we don't just think this is Roman Catholicism. It's kind of a quick version of my story. Yeah. 
I mean, you say that... that okay, we're going to, uh, you know, for the sake of time, we're already 30 minutes into the program. So um, I'm not today going to focus a lot on Alex O'Connor. Um, I plan to do, if Lord willing, I plan to do a separate program on him and looking at some of the things that he said and just very, very briefly, you know, because some of the things he says, look, he's a, he's a smarter guy than I am. From what I can hear, I've heard a few things and I go, hmm, okay, philosophically. But spiritually, because he's an atheist, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Okay? So, but some of what he says um, kind of reminded me of my own reasons. He left Roman Catholicism, I left Roman Catholicism. Um, so I think I would like to cover that in a separate program. Now, we're going to skip ahead here and uh, just deal with some of the arguments that Robert Barron, and again, this is more to do with Robert Barron rather than Roman Catholicism generally. There's some Roman Catholics don't even like Robert Barron, so just as you'll get with anything, I suppose, within any group. So about 19 minutes into this, um, into this uh, interview between the two of them, this is uh, Robert Barnes speaking, and he's responding to something that was said by Alex O'Connor, and um, and he's speaking about atheism. Let's play about Dawkins. Um, do you know your your countryman? He died only about twenty years ago now. Herbert McCabe, the great Dominican theologian, one of the great contemporary Thomists, I think. And McCabe often debated atheists publicly in England. But he always made one stipulation, that the atheist would speak first, and then he'd respond. And invariably, he would listen to the atheist make the presentation, and he would say, I completely agree with you. And what he meant simply was this, that atheists serve, and I mean this very seriously, a very important function, and that's to debunk forms of idolatry. So there's a very good example, the crude presentation of God as a being as some, some big being alongside of others, where the mainstream of our tradition has consistently denied that of God. And when you fall into that trap, now there's a very crude version of it, the big man with the white beard, but there are less crude... Yeah, just to give you further context, um, he's kind of... Alex Conner's kind of saying, oh, well, the view I would have had of God was the white man, with the, uh, the beard, with the big white beard in the sky and all that, which is idolatry. And he's saying, well, you know... Agreeing with McCabe, a, a Dominican apologist, I'm not I'm not too familiar with him, but um, that he would argue that atheists can serve a purpose as exposing the idolatry because that's not the way we view God, nor should it be the way we view God. There's an element of truth, you could say, in that if you bring in Paul in Acts 17, uh, but also at the same time, the atheist, we may have we may be able to find common ground as Paul did in Acts 17 um, at Mars Hill, in him we move and have our being, you know, that, that, that quote from one of their own poets and philosophers, but, and where they overlap, that's legitimate, but you can't say that they're right. Um, there must be rebuke and correction because the atheist is suppressing the truth and the righteousness and he has his own idol of who God is, um, quite often himself. Versions of it that are still just as problematic. 
when God is construed as one competitive being among many, a lot of the problems that the atheists put their finger on emerge. And I mean now going back to Feuerbach and Marx and Jean-Paul Sartre and company. When God is construed competitively, competing for us on the same ontological playing field, a lot of the typical atheist reactions occur. And they're right. They're right to put their finger on that and say, that God doesn't exist. And so I'm with McCabe a lot of the time with atheists. I'll say, yeah, good, I agree. Feuerbach, you know, yes. if God is simply a projection of my idealized self-understanding, Isaiah knew about that. He called it idolatry. Ezekiel knew all about that. If God is just opium for the masses to assuage our, our suffering, well, of course that's, a, that's an idol. We, we put a crucified criminal at the heart of our religious uh, imagination. You know, Sartre, uh, if, if God exists, I, I can't be free. But I am free, therefore God doesn't exist. Well, he's right if God is a great competitor to my freedom. So I say thank God for all those atheists who, who rid us of certain idols. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what he's what he's stating with the last point there, but um, you know, but freedom because what do you mean by freedom? It can mean different things to different people depending on what you mean. Um, you know, when we're when we're when we're not, when we're not saved, uh, we're slaves to sin. There's not much freedom there. Um, we're we're dead in trespasses and sins. God is sovereign. Um, no one can resist his decretive will, but his prescriptive will, yes, people do resist and quite often do. Um, we make the mistake here often of thinking that the atheist can be reached through the intellect and thinking that the problem with the atheist, Roman Catholics quite do it, you know, apologists will do this, at least from what I've seen over the years, that they they treat the, the will as if it's unfallen. And if you just get them to, I know if you go back at the in introduction, you'll say that there's no one argument that will convince you, which is true. But at the same time, the way it's practiced and done in reality, that um, if you can get at the atheist, this is the way it's often, if you can get at the atheist from the, from the will, the, or from the intellect, if you just give them the right arguments, I, I think it's often pearls before swine, he needs to be told, and um, evidence is all around him. It just needs to be declared to him. No, he's suppressing the truth and the righteousness. He's not. I, not the biggest fan of some of the arguments, but um, I'm not against you know, arguments from creation because that's what reformers used to do centuries ago, a long time before presuppositionalism. Um, but it's all very much about the head and very little about, as we should be doing, if, again, Robert Byrne is not a Christian. There's no reason to think he is a Christian. And I'm not just talking about this presentation by itself because he is a bishop within a system that has anathematized the gospel since the 17th, uh, since the 16th centuries, since the Counter-Reformation. It, it was very much apostate and going in the wrong direction for centuries, but prior to that, in dire need of reformation. But then officially, in response to the true gospel, what does it do? It anathematizes during the Council of Trent, and it still does 
anathematize the gospel through its teaching because of what it teaches on justification. It denies justification by grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone. They deny, all of them, deny the, the solas of the Reformation. Different gospel, different faith, different religion. Um, okay, and this, again, I'm not complete, in case anybody's just tuning in, I am not um, completely ignoring, if you're listening, it's, oh, you're ignoring Alex O'Connor, and I plan to come back to him next week. Um, that's the plan anyway, because there's no way I could cover both of them. Uh, tonight, we're just going to be really covering Robert Barron and nothing else. If you've got any questions, you you can fire off any questions in the YouTube chat. And yeah, I've got to I've got to put find some way of making that a lot more visible. <laughs> but it's going to be eight thirty UK time um, every Tuesday night, Lord willing. Lord willing. The next thing um, Robert Byrne kind of struggled with um, to a degree was what is faith. And Alice O'Connor kind of pressed him a little bit what what was faith. Um, and we're, we're just going to look through that. And he kind of poo-pooed the idea, and as we all should, that we should say no to superstitions um, and all that kind of stuff. I'll just play what he said. This is 41 minutes into the video. Uh, Robert Byrne and Alex O'Connor, Cosmic Skeptic, Atheism or Christianity or Atheism. This can be found on YouTube. Uh, um, and again, sure. there's a great um, conversation on the contingency argument uh, uh, you can find on the Unbelievable channel elsewhere. But is, in a sense, um, the question of, well, presumably... Bishop Barron, you, you, you're not a Christian, you're not a Catholic, just because of some great arguments that no. um, uh, Aquinas made uh, right. uh, a century, uh, you know, a millennia and a half ago or whatever. Right. Um, so what's, what's the, um, what for you is faith? Um, presumably it's more than just those intellectual arguments that obviously have been part of your journey along the way. You know, let me start with a, a very quick little anecdote. Um, I don't know if you, over in, in the UK, you know Bill Maher, Bill Maher's program. He's a very well-known. Uh, good opportunity here to kind of say, uh, I saw that I was a sinner, repented of my sins, and all this kind of... Um, and I've never, ever, ever heard him make any reference, only vague intellectual references to these things left-wing political and cultural commentator, fiercely atheist, hates religion. Well, one time he had a Christian on his show who was a political lobbyist. So they, they talked politics for a time. But then he said to him, now you're a man of faith. And he said, yes. That means you accept all kinds of things on the basis of no evidence. And the man said, yes. Well, I had the, the <laughs> channel switcher in my hand, and I'm, I threw it at the camera, at the TV. Because I thought, no, man, that's the whole problem. Uh, Paul Tillich, the great Protestant theologian, said faith is the most misunderstood word in the religious lexicon because it's construed just that way. You know? Faith means some wild credulity, some crazy superstition, believing any old nonsense on the basis of nothing. That's not what faith is in our great people. That's not what faith is in Thomas Aquinas or Anselm or Augustine or any of the great figures. To put it simply, 
faith is never infrarational. So superstition, gullibility, accepting any old nonsense, that's all infrarational. I'm against that. The church is against that. It's superstitious nonsense. Faith. Okay, here we can agree. Um, superstitious nonsense. Yes, exactly. Um, and just to, people say the word superstition a lot and not really understand what they're saying. Um, superstition, modern definition of superstition would be, in a modern dictionary, irrational belief in the supernatural influences. Modern, you know, like in a modern de- dictionary definition, irrational belief in the supernatural. Something that's irrational. If, you know, you'd call a superstition going underneath a ladder and giving you, you know, that that would be make you unlucky or you walk past a, a black hat. That's, we all, most, most people, even people believe in that nonsense, will believe that that's a superstition. Okay, um, and that's kind of what we think of superstitions, but there's also superstitions that are religious that are irrational, irrational within the Roman Catholic Church itself. Um, just a few that come to mind, transubstantiation and prayers to, prayers to the dead. Um, an older definition of superstition from the 19th century, Noah Webster's dictionary, who was, um, I think he was one of the, was he one of the founding fathers of the American language over there? I'm not, I think he, I think he did something with the spelling. Anyway, a very influential person in the United States. Uh, his 1828 dictionary superstition is an excessive exactness or rigor in religious opinions or practice, extreme or unnecessary scruples in the observance or um, rights not commanded or of points of minor importance. Um, um, do, 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 do. So something that is not commanded in the Bible, really, or of points of minor importance, excess or extravagance in religion, or doing things not required by God, or abstaining from things not forbidden. You know, if you're told, you know, Good Friday, oh, can't eat meat, well, it's not forbidden, that's a superstition. Or the belief of what is absurd, or belief without evidence. Transubstantiation would definitely fall under that, I'm just pointing this out, because talk about Roman Catholicism is just filled to the brim with superstition and always has been for centuries. Um, they believe transubstantiation teaches the, 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 the bread and the wine are no longer bread and wine. When it's consecrated by the priest, it is now the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It is no longer bread and wine according to this, well, hocus pocus. So, um, you know, to point out, we don't believe, yeah, intellectually they might say that, but in practice, eh, not so much. Technically construed is always supra-rational. It's, it's a surrender at the far side of reason. Um, I, I think that the best, the best analogy to it is in our coming to know a, a person, right? It, so I, I'm meeting both of you, at least virtually now for the first time. I, I watched videos of you. My mind was alive to see what you're like and listen to you talk, and I drew conclusions and so on. Uh, I hope someday I can meet you in person. I'll have an even more thorough knowledge of you. My mind will be fully engaged around that. But, I mean, let's suppose we continued to get to know each other and we developed into real friends. Well, my mind has never gone to sleep in this process. My mind is still alive and awake and alert and studying. And, but at some point, 
in that friendship, you would reveal something to me that I could never have learned through my own reason by reading about you or, or even talking to you or, or talking to others about you. You'd, you'd speak some truth about your life that I could never have guessed unless you had told me. And see, at that point, I have to make a decision whether I believe you or not. Uh, yeah, it's not... Off the top of my head, I can't think of, is it a terrible analogy? Let's just say it's not one I would use myself. Um, the definition of faith, he never really gets around to the definition he gives later, is a response. What he gave, it was it's a response to God or something like that. Definition of faith is this, and this is as good a definition as any. This is um, Westminster and plus Reformed definition of faith. Three elements of faith, of saving faith now. There's other types of faith, you know, like the don't save you historical faith where you just believe the facts about the gospel. But here we're talking about saving faith. You know, when it says you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone. That faith, that specific type of faith, uh, knowledge. You must know what you believe. You can't believe what you don't know. So you must have knowledge. You must also have, number two, assent. Assent means you believe that this is true. You can't believe something that you believe is false. Obviously, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. And generally speaking, even Rome can kind of agree with us up until this point. Um, but the final point is where we would depart from Roman Catholicism, um, which is very much, has always been heavily pushed on. You know, having intellectual assent is saving faith. But there's trust. You know, you, you, you know, there's people who believe the facts and the Bible. Yeah, that's too just. But they've never trusted. They've never been changed by the truth. They've never loved it. They know and they believe that these things are true about God. They believe that he's good, righteous, and holy, but they hate him. <laughs> that's kind of... That's to somebody who doesn't have trust, but maybe have assent. So there's those three elements of faith, um, knowledge, assent, and trust in Christ Jesus. Knowledge of what he's done in our behalf. We may not have a perfect knowledge of that. Okay. Good question in the chat, by the way. There's um, uh question is, isn't transubstantiation also a belief of the Lutheran church? Good question. Very good question. It's not. It's very similar. Um, the The belief of the wrong uh, the, the Lutheran Church, sorry, is consubstantiation. Consubstantiation, and the word "con" is where you get the word "with." And they believe that the, that the body of Jesus is physically. It doesn't make a ton of sense. I'll be honest, and it's always been one. It's always been a bit of a head scratcher for me. But consubstantiation is where. You know, Luther was adamant of, this is my body, like he was very literal about that, and um, that somehow, under the elements of the bread, there's still bread, there's still wine, they haven't gone into that ridiculous notion. They don't believe it's some representation of the cross. They don't believe it's a, an unbloody sacrifice like Rome. They haven't gone to that level of blasphemy that would deny the gospel. But in, in Lutheran circles, they believe consubstantiation and they believe that in some way, physically, the body of Jesus is with or under the elements, okay? Um, 
n- not a big fan. <laughs> they're, I believe they're brothers who are Lutherans and stuff like that. I just, a lot, I, I have major problems with a lot of their teachings, if I'm being quite honest. And there's also a major problem that they have with images of Christ. And yeah. Um, so how would I... That doctrine also has implications with their view of the, the the humanity of Christ. You know, the Reformed, of which I am, um, would believe that Christ's body is in heaven, touching his humanity is in heaven, at the right hand of the Father. Touching his divinity is omnipresent. So, Lutheranism, they kind of go more that his humanity, I'm not an expert on this, I'll be honest here, so you might want to dig out a few good systematic theology, but touching his humanity, he becomes almost omnipresent. It, it, it kind of, that's a lot of what, you know, there's, I don't think a lot of people realize it, but the Reformed and the Lutherans have diverged centuries ago. Um, Probably like a little bit of the time after Luther, really. So, um, and they really took divergent paths since then. You could be making some crazy stuff up. I don't know. Or you could be telling me the deepest truth of your heart. I have to decide at that point, do I believe you? Now, I haven't put reason to sleep at all. (laughs) At no point in this process have I set reason aside. But at a key moment, if I really want to get to know you, I have to say, yeah, based on a lot of things and hunches and intuitions and experience and knowledge and, and what I've gathered about this person, I'm willing to say, yes, I believe that truth about you. That's an analogy, it seems to me, to religious faith, authentically construed, that we would hold, and we could talk about what this means. It doesn't mean voices coming out of clouds. That God speaks. If, if I accept things on the basis of no. <laughs> um, I'm going to skip ahead to the end because we're running out of time. Um, one of the things, major problems I have is Christianity has been presented, God has been presented as a means to an end, as in he is the intellectual grounding that, you know, we're not believing absurdly, are we? So there must be a reason that the world is the way the world is. Ah, we have the answer. Ah, it makes sense. Intellectually, ah, I'm stimulated. Ah, I know how things work. And God then becomes a means to an end. And voila, you have, if you have such a a faith within professing Protestantism and whatever, nominalism. Because you're just going, well, that's the way the world works, but you're, you're living like a deist if it goes no further. If you haven't said, I am a sinner, that Christ bore my sin, I've trusted in him, Christ bore my sin on the cross. That I am now, because I repent, because of Christ, I am dead to sin and alive unto Christ. I am dead to sin. I am a different person because I am, my old person is dead. We put on a new man. So very, very little of this, which is, this is not Christianity. This is not Christianity. 
it's the same with um, the, the Christianity presented by William Lane Craig. It's not Christianity either. Much of the time, William Lane Craig as well, oh, it, was, it was during debate a couple of years ago. I'd be struggling to find a clip now, but if he was asked if somebody had to believe that the Bible was infallible, and he was like, no. He didn't require anything like that. It's, you know, William and Craig just make the bar as low as possible. Just believe in Jesus. What you believe about the Bible? Well. Um, and it's just so that you, essentially that you have intellectual assent to the truths. Oh, that God did this, Jesus did this, and that's it. Why? Because, well, you know, the world is going to be chaotic otherwise. Again, God becomes a means to an end. Just to keep whatever society together, just so you have your, you know how things work, you have a basis for immorality and all that, but that's it. So, okay, last little bit we want to look at is um, one hour and 15 minutes into it. Again, we'll return to this next week, Lord willing, unless something else comes up. Uh, and we'll try and look at, yeah, he does speak here. Um, there's no, there's no talk at all about Jesus dying for sin. Yeah, I, I, I think I would have to, I think I would have to, to, to plead the same, which is to say, look, I. In case anybody's listening to the podcast, that is Alex O'Connor speaking. I don't know what I would say to a friend who's dying, right? I really don't know. And I, I don't claim to have an explanation for why this is happening. I don't claim to have an answer to how justice will be served. But the one thing I won't do is offer false consolation to my dying friend. That's the one thing I won't do. Unless I'm certain and I'm able to say, listen, I know why this is happening. Don't worry. You can relax. Everything's going to be okay. If I don't have philosophically sufficient grounds to say that, then it would be not just foolish, but malicious of me to lie to them. And I'm not accusing Christians of lying, but I'm saying that if you're going to make that claim, you better be sure that you're philosophically justified in doing so. And as far as the responses to the problem of evil that I've generally seen entertained by Christians, it doesn't even come close. Can I, can I respond just a little bit? Because actually, I'm, I'm changing my mind, I suppose, a little bit with the, the word celebration. Because when you said celebration, I thought immediately of, well, put on. They're de dealing with theodicy. I should have said that at the beginning, you know, the problem of evil and um, trying to, you know, why do people suffer in the world? Uh, if God is good, why do people, why do good people suffer? All this kind of. Pretty head and, you know, let's just throw confetti. We'll have a celebration because your dad is dying. But the very fact that we talk about the mass being celebrated, and the Mass is nothing but a representation of Calvary. So indeed, it is Good Friday represented, and we're celebrating the Mass. Or the celebration... Yeah, and that's another problem with it, is represented as a, a, a sacrifice. And the sacrifice for the living and the dead is also... I remember, you know, years ago, my mother bringing, you know, it was a money to the Roman Catholic priest um, to have masses for my aunt who died a couple of years ago, before that. Didn't have a clue, didn't really tie it all together. And I don't even know if she did. But you're, if you haven't died in Christ, you have no hope. 
And there's countless opportunities here that if Baron was indeed a Christian and there was no prompting that I saw from Justin Briley. Again, I don't know a ton about him, so I'm trying to be as gracious as possible. Maybe this is an off day or something like that. But there was no prompting toward the gospel to say that what? That Jesus died for sinners. It wasn't just any other death. It wasn't just, uh, he died and he's a symbol of Christianity. He died to set us free from the consequences of our sin, death, and hell. The Good Friday service. But we're a long way from party hats and confetti. We're celebrating, but but the kind of beautiful solemnity and, and grandeur and, and deep sadness of that Good Friday celebration, that would signal the right Christian attitude. So I, I will, I'm okay with that. We're celebrating it. <laughs> it's not party hat celebration. And again, Time doesn't represent, you know, unless we played it for hours, but really great. He couldn't do this in a program. You're going to have to listen to yourself. But um, over and over again, he brought up deaths and COVID and why do people die? Why do people suffer? And we know the answer to this. Time and time again, he just went to Job and said, well, we don't really know why that is and all this kind of stuff. We do know why people die. Now, we don't, might not know why people die in a certain way. We, we might not know why you know, there's your nice neighbor who dies from a terrible illness and you've got the, the nasty terrorists up the road or whatever who lives a long and healthy life or whatever. Okay, that kind of stuff we don't know, but from the point of view is why do people suffer? Why do people die? Why is there suffering in the world? Because of sin. Because in Adam, all die. But that never came up. That never came up once. Because the man, in no way, seems to have even the inkling of interest in the gospel. The gospel. That's the difference between Roman Catholicism and Christianity. Roman Catholicism isn't Christianity. What Robert Byrne some of it might overlap at times from an apologetics point of view at times. But he's not presenting. It's it's like, okay, imagine Christianity is like the, the completed building and what he's presenting you is the base ruins. It's an apostate form of Christianity and just giving people in the West and comfortable and all this intellectual reasons to stimulate those types of people who are into that. And we know that not everybody's into that. Other people are not into that and are more into more mystical experiences and all that. And Rome has stuff for that too, by the way. Rome's largely a chameleon. You go to different countries and she becomes in a bad sense, not the way Paul meant it in in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, all things to all men. This, think of yeah, I'm going to go to his last argument. Next week, I'm going to look through Alex O'Connor's arguments, Lord willing, and we're going to respond to his arguments. It wasn't really my plan today to go through Alex O'Connor's arguments, but here's 
again, time and time again, loads of opportunity if the man did believe the gospel. By the way, if a Roman Catholic says, I believe that we're saved by grace, through faith in Christ Jesus, that does not mean he believes the gospel. Listen to me again. If a Roman Catholic, especially one of those teachers, right, that believe we're saved by grace, through faith in Jesus. And you'd even have to be careful if they say faith alone. What do they mean by that? Um, but let's take by grace through faith. Well, they don't believe by alone. And then by how is that righteousness ours? Is it infused? Is it more of an inner thing? Or is it something imputed? Big difference between the two. And some people argue different ways and all that kind of thing. Um, they don't believe by gr by grace alone, alone through faith, alone. That faith is the alone instrument. It's 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 the only instrumental cause of salvation. They don't believe that. I have heard again. You got to be very careful with some of these apologists, you know, I'll see evangelicals say, oh, but I know this Roman Catholic who believes, and they'll give me the quote, faith alone, and then you'll find out, well, what does he mean by faith alone? A bit like the Federal Vision crowd within um, Protestant circles, faith alone means faithfulness alone, and it's no longer what we mean, historic Protestantism, faith alone becomes redefined as Faithfulness alone works, a mixture of work and, and faith. So Rome does not teach the gospel. There's not dotted across it. It's not like Anglicanism where you'll get the odd. If you preach the gospel, you won't stay there very long. We have to stop being seduced by the harlot of Rome. So this is um, one hour and 29 minutes and 30 seconds into the program. This is Robert Barnes' final argument, and then we'll, we'll, we'll just comment on his final argument, and then we'll wrap up for this evening. If you like. But if, if you share in my view that suffering is so obviously present that it should be the starting point of philosophy, then I don't think that you can make sense of it with Christianity alone. And for you, Bishop Barron, why does Christianity, in your view, make best sense of who we are? I, I would maybe stay with that point because it's very, very interesting to me. Because uh, I think it's never right, metaphysically, to begin with pain or with suffering. I don't think that's coherent because that's, that's always a subset of something much more fundamental. Um, so I, I think that's a really problematic starting point. And if you do that, I think you're going to be metaphysically on very shaky ground and will be led to strange conclusions. So that's interesting that you name that as a starting point. I, I would say very quickly, it, Christianity makes much better sense of how to explain a radically contingent world, and it makes much better sense of the, of the dynamism of the human spirit, which pushes out toward the unconditioned truth and the unconditioned good. It makes sense of both the beginning and the end, if you want, the alpha and the omega. Um, to me, the atheist perspective doesn't make sense of either of those. Um, and that ends up becoming, from a rational standpoint, to my mind, quite incoherent.
we're going to leave it there. But can I just say thank you? And that was his final argument. A man who, look, let's just take for argument if Rob Barnes Christian, right? I don't believe that he is. There's no, there's no reason to believe that he is. He's like, well, you know, Christianity makes more sense. It's more intellectually whatever, and uh, than than atheism. The Bible is very clear that it's absurd. Atheism is absurd. The heavens declare the glory of God at the beginning of uh, Psalm 19. And those who reject the creation order, who suppress the truth and righteousness, Romans 1.18, they have the law. We all, we're all created in the image of God, right? So we all got a conscience before God. We see around us evidence all the time and there's so much evidence for the Bible being the word of the living God. He just mentions once that, uh, or once or twice, that the word of God is a witness of, of the... He doesn't really go any further. He doesn't call it the word of God. Which is, I think that's kind of like, um, it almost sounded like a bit of a neo-Orthodox view where, you know, Karl Barth or something like that, where... You know, the, the, in that view, that the word of God isn't the word of God. It's it's um, the word of God is it, the word being spoken and what's written down. What we have is just a witness of that. So therefore, it's not all the word of God. And I'm not saying that he believes that, but it it didn't sound great when he was talking about it earlier in the program. Here's here's the where the rubber hits the road. If you are a Christian, and this is the final thing you get to say to someone, comparing atheism Christianity, and you've got an atheist in front of you, and you get the final statement, what do you say? Okay, let's, let's take this. On the very tiny chance that Alex O'Connor, cosmic skeptic, is listening to this, I too was raised Roman Catholic. He was raised Roman Catholic as well. And I, too, also went into atheism because I said, well, this doesn't make any sense. It's all this kind of... Th there was no... It, it seemed all so irrational. So I went away from it. But what brought me... What changed me? The grace of God. Realizing that I am a sinner and that you're a sinner... And that God is good. God is holy. God is righteous. Why, why do people suffer all around us? Because we're sinners. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Job 121. None of us, none of us deserve even because of our sin. Every moment we're upon this earth, every minute, every microsecond, it is the grace of God. Because of our sin, we should, strictly speaking, our, our sin deserves death. The wages of sin is death. We all deserve that. Every single last one of us. We've all broken God's law. And the creator of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jehovah of the Old Testament, Jehovah, he takes upon himself 
the form of a servant. He becomes man. The eternal God, the one who created the heaven and the earth, and he died for sinners like you and I. He died. He suffered in this creation. And he paid the penalty due for sinners so that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you are in union with Christ, you are forgiven. You are now in heavenly places today because of that union. We know this from, uh, was it Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4, 5, and 6. The gospel. The gospel. You can have all the intellectual things. I want the intellectual explanation for why this, this, this. You can know all that stuff. And do you know what it's going to do? If you, if that's all you have, it will just condemn you. It will wake, it will make your sentence in hell far worse. If you know, the more you know about God and the more you know about how things work and the way the world works and you haven't repented of your sin, it brings more and more judgment upon you because you have been through much has been given, much is expected. Hopefully that's been a help. Um, if nothing else comes up next week, we will cover some of the arguments of Alex O'Connor, but just focus on him next week. Um, radio at gmail.com if you've got any questions or suggestions for programs. It's been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.